Good morning, brothers and sisters. Uh, if you were at the couples retreat uh, over the weekend, could you please stand? Just stand where you are. If you're at the couples retreat over the weekend, can you please stand? Now, there are a few couples missing. Um, the, I, I don't know what happened to them, actually. Uh, all right. Yeah, it's after the retreat and stuff like that. But um, I would encourage you to... Oh, and Amanda, she's running back just to let us know. And Amanda and Aaron went as well. I would encourage you to ha- catch up with those guys. Um, the couples retreat is something that we'd like to actually keep on doing uh, because it's, uh, we think it's really important to invest into marriage. It's not that we're ignoring single people or anything like that. We'll take care of you fellas later. But uh, I just want to encourage you, have a chat with these guys because it was a great blessing. We spent the day out there yesterday, just 20 minutes from here, and it was real encouragement being ministered to by Pastor John and, and, and Auntie Kathleen and and it was a real encouragement, for the, I think, for the, the people there uh, who were invested into and just spending the word together in fellowship and prayer and in discussion. So I would really encourage you, turn around so everyone can see your faces, please, so that if you're in the front. I would encourage you to catch up with these guys and just ask them questions. Just ask them questions because it was a wonderful time, a wonderful time. Okay? Thank you very much. You may be seated. Thank you. Thank you. Now. We all know, we all know, and, and you probably, I saw some people get up when they, specifically these three here, when they got up, they're just like, oh, which is actually quite appropriate for what I'm talking about today. You see, we all know people who complain. Um, we, we do. We all, we all know people who complain, and, and there's always like that person, like everybody has a role, if you have a group of people that you hang out with, uh, people have a role, there's always like the really cool guy, there's always like the really pretty guy, there's always like the really strong guy and, and things, and, and in some cases like John, you're all of those things, but, but what's really neat is this, but you've also got like that guy, right, there, there's that guy that complains continually. And, and when they complain, it, now some, in some cases it's actually justified. And, and please, if you've got complaints, I'm not, I'm not, I don't want to hinder you from complaining about things, or if you see observations, please approach me and talk to me about it. I'm not, I'm not sort of telling you not to do that and that I'm not approachable. I have no issue with that whatsoever. All I'm saying is that there are sometimes people that have unjustified complaining, and they complain continually about anything and about everything, and it can be somewhat frustrating and draining upon you as an individual. Do you all know somebody like that? And if it's not, like, I'm thinking, I don't know someone like that, which means I'm probably that guy, uh, so it, which, is, which is really quite fascinating. And the thing is this, when you, when you start complaining continually, what happens is the focus changes. The focus changes not so much on what God is doing, it's more on how it's affecting you as an individual, and then you become the center of what's taking place around you. And everything essentially revolves around you, and I'm speaking from experience in this, where I've done this many, many times. Now, last week we started a series called When God Answers. And, and usually that statement of when God answers in, is in direct connection to a situation or a context that is taking place. Uh, for example, last week we looked at the book of Joel, and that should work. Is the, is the, uh, the little buzzy thing in there? Right this? So sorry. Thanks, Sarah. I'll, I'll leave it to you to have a look at. And hey, there we go. There we go. Thank you very much. Yep, thank you very much for that, Sarah. All right. So last, last week we started looking at Joel. It must be, it is, it is, I'm sure I'm pressing the right button. Could you change the slide for me, please, Sarah? Weak batteries. Okay. So last week we looked at Joel. We looked at how when God answered the context Israel was in, and the way God answers was that he answered with judgment, through invitation, and by grace, all for the purpose of expressing his love and his compassion for this nation that had had completely forsaken him and gone away from his ways, gone away from the relationship they shared with him. And so where this particular message, which is on the podcast, if you want to have a listen to it, where this particular message was basically could be titled When God Answered Disobedience. And that's how he handled the disobedience in Joel. Today's sermon, we're looking at another minor prophet of when God answered complaints. And these complaints are found from the book of Habakkuk. If you, f- if you have your Bibles, get Habakkuk, but 
I'll give you a little bit of context as to what was going on. Wow, that's, that's a lot of fun. Okay, so Habakkuk, we read from one particular commentator who says this, Sin was rampant in Judah. The people were worshipping idols, sacrificing their children to pagan gods, and ignoring God. The wicked king Jehoiakim not only refused to listen to God's prophets, but also burned their writings, arrested several of them, and even murdered one. Jehoiakim foolishly positioned Judah between two warring superpowers, the declining Assyrian Empire and the rising Babylonian Empire. The historical background to the book of Habakkuk is found in 2 Kings 23.31 through to 24 verse 7 and 2 Chronicles 36 verses 1 to 8. Now what's fascinating about the book of Habakkuk is that where most prophets are talking to God on behalf of the people, well, actually, talking to the people, should have, I've got to move that around, sorry, forgive me. Talking to the people on behalf of God, this prophet was talking to God on behalf of the people. This prophet had a complaint about what was taking place and about what was going on. And so he sits there and he has a complaint against God. And it's really interesting because I can sort of associate and see and understand where he's coming from in his complaint. So I'm going to open in a word of prayer, and we'll look at God's word together from the book of Habakkuk. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the people that you dealt with and the people that you worked through, how they were just ordinary people. And seeing this in the attitudes and in the heart of Habakkuk, we see a lot of ourselves as well. Father, if we have complaints, if we have concerns, if we have things, Lord, that is left undealt uh, that we might have even against you, We pray, Lord, that you might bring them up before us. Give us the courage to repent and to deal with it and to entrust ourselves to you as the author and perfecter of our faith. Father, please speak to us today through your word, by your spirit. Convict us, change us, challenge us, draw us to yourself. And Father, may you, your son, be exalted through this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So. I've only got two points for you today because as I was working through this, there was so much information. I'm actually going to spread this out over two weeks. So I've only got a couple of points for you today. The first point we're going to look at from Habakkuk is what's called, one, a human complaint. Where's the, yay, a human complaint. This human complaint is where Habakkuk sees everything that's going around. As shared just in that little commentary beforehand, these were the people of Israel sacrificing their own children to pagan gods. This is where the children of Israel had forsaken everything God had provided for them and given to them that they had turned their back on. Remember, these people of Israel followed pagan gods because they wanted to fit in with everybody else. Therefore, they took some extreme lengths in doing that, which is really quite shocking and so with Habakkuk and I think it's a justified complaint but it's a very human complaint in the sense that he views it because all he sees is wickedness and evil and in the wickedness and evil he sees this is what he states in verses 2 to 4 of Habakkuk chapter 1 oh lord how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear or cry to you violence And you will not save. Why do you make me see iniquity? And why do you idly look at wrong? Destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. So the law is paralyzed and justice never goes forth. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. Now that makes sense. When you look at the context of what's taking, uh, taking place, I can understand what Habakkuk is saying here. He looks, he sees evil taking place, he sees injustice running rampant, he sees that justice itself is being perverted, and from, from what his viewpoint, he sees God doing nothing. He sees God doing nothing, and he's crying out, Why? Why, Lord? Oh, you, Lord, just in verse 2, can I... Change to next slide. Oh, you, Lord, how long shall I cry for help 
and you will not hear. Have you ever felt that way? That in crisis, that in hardship, that in struggles, that in the uncertainty of life, you have cried out, especially when you see things that are directly affecting you, and you cry out and you feel like God isn't hearing. I've not, I know, I know for a fact that I have felt this way. And I probably know for a fact I will feel this way again in the future. But this is where I understand what he's going through. He's, he's crying out for an indication. He's, he's crying out for something. God, do you hear me? God is, is what's going on. I mean, it even carries on when he says, or cry to you violence and you will not hear. See, violence, the, basically now what he's doing, he's appealing to God's justice because he's basically, he stands for righteousness, he stands for holiness, he stands for goodness. There is violence taking place. So he's saying, Lord, this, this is what I disagree with and this is what you disagree with. I don't understand why you're not doing something if, if we're both on the same page. I'm crying to you violence and, and you're, you're not hearing. Like, have you, ever, have you ever felt that way, that you're unheard of even when the situation has been explained to God? And you've explained the situation to God and the seriousness of the circumstance. And you're like, Lord, I, 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 know, I know something needs to be done. And, and I know this is in accordance with your will because I see it in your word. And, and, and I know this is what you would die for in the relationship that you've given me with yourself through Jesus Christ. I, I know all of these things. And yet I'm crying and I still don't understand why you don't seem to be moving. And you look around in the world today, you have not only Christians, but non-Christians that may ask these questions. And I was looking at some news headlines over the past week. For example, in July, there was the big floods in China. Do you remember those things going on? Uh, there was the, there's a drought in Australia today. There was earthquakes in Taiwan in February. Yemen is close to famine. I was reading an article that Yemen is nearly out of food, and that was in July. You have these numerous events that take place that are beyond human control. Uh, this is why insurance companies refer to such things as an act of God. I remember many years ago they had a hailstorm, and there was just these massive hailstones that destroyed so many cars. Um, going through windshields and things like that. And the insurance policy said, act of God. And before they could actually, and I think the insurance companies lost out on heaps because so many people were making claims. So you see those, you see those sorts of things in one that that's beyond my control. So God, why aren't you doing something? Then you have stuff that's going on that reveals man's inhumanity to man when you have children being abused physically and, and sexually. There, there are rapes, there are robberies, there's discrimination, there's racism, there's slavery, which is still taking place now in 2018. And you see all of these things taking place and you sort of wonder, God, I, I see this wickedness. Why aren't you moving? I'm crying out. Why aren't you moving? What is taking place? And what's worse is that even in churches, there are scandals that take place. And, and there is backstabbing. And, and as I've shared before in the past, the very place where we should experience acceptance and safety more often than not becomes a place where backstabbing and hurt takes place. And that, that shouldn't be. That, that's not in accordance with God's desire. And it seems to us when we look at these things that we see how, how do you reconcile this stuff all of these injustices, all this evil, all these tragedies, all of this stuff here with a God that says he loves us and he cares for us and he desires to be in a relationship. How do you reconcile those two things? And I think this is the dilemma that faced Habakkuk at this time. I know this because as you read through verses 3 to 4, you see these things. For example, in verse 3, it says, why do you make me see iniquity? In verse 3, why do you idly look at wrong? When you see somebody that's idle, you, you often think of someone sitting there twiddling their thumbs and just waiting. He, verse 3, he says, destruction and violence are before me. Strife and contention arise. The law is paralyzed. The law is ineffective. The law has no impact whatsoever. He says, justice never goes forth. The wicked surround the righteous and justice goes forth perverted. All of these complaints Habakkuk puts forth are valid complaints when they are viewed from a perfectly human perspective. When we see this, that is all we see. Can I have the next slide up, please? I, I hopefully you can see this. Oh, you can't really see that very well, can you? Can anybody make out what's there? What they think they see? Michael, there is two people there are two people there. 
when we complain, when we look around, this is the situation that Habakkuk's pretty much in, isolated and his world revolving around himself, and that's all that is seen. That's all that is seen. And this is what happens when we complain. As I shared before, we become the central focus. We sit there and say, how is this affecting me? What is this doing to me? And why isn't someone else doing something about it? What is it that you can do to make me feel better or to give me some answers? And, and look, it, please don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not saying that you can't complain. I'm not saying that you can't have uh, questions. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is when we do, uh, are we doing it with the focus of, hey, Lord, what is it you're trying to teach me? Or I just want to stay in my own little world and, and have a pity party. I, wanna, I want me to whinge. I, I remember an American guy told me this. He says whinge. He said that's like the best word he's ever heard to explain someone who complains. I should have said God answers whinging. But this is, he, he, he says whinge. He says whinge just, just sums up what a complaint is, or an unjustified complaint. And, but, I mean, we can look at Habakkuk and say, well, it's not really unjustified. I think it's quite good, but see, this is what happens when we spend all our time complaining and being self-focused. Or what's even worse, we don't even focus on that little bit right there. Can I have the next slide, please, Sarah? We see the opposition around us. We see the obstacles. We see the hardships. We see the cause of our complaints. And the cause of our complaints, the more we spend time staring at that, becomes bigger and bigger and bigger. This is what Habakkuk's going through, and I'm pretty sure... This is what a lot of us go through as well. We focus on the problem. A brother, a brother shared with his cell group, and, and I haven't asked him, so I'm not going to give you the details, but he shared about an issue that, this, that, this, that he's facing, and it's a really big issue. And I, was, I, I, I sent him a private message just to say, Bro, praying for you, like in this whole situation, and and the, and the words I got back was, "Thanks, my God's got this," or "My God's bigger," or whatever it was along those lines. I'm sorry I didn't read the message properly. It was only four words, and I still didn't get it right. But see, see the focus there. All we do, he could spend all his time looking at the problem, all his time spinning in his world, but he looked at something beyond that, which we're going to look at a little bit later. So the strife Habakkuk falls into is complaining on his own rights or the own situation or the fact that to him God seems ineffective and powerless. Uh, there's a couple of Bible verses because this is what happens when you get this way. Um, this is the optimum context. When you're like this, this is the optimum context from which trouble arises. For example, Proverbs chapter 10, verse 12 says this, Hatred stirs up strife but love covers all offenses. Proverbs 13.10, By insolence comes nothing but strife, but with those who take advice is wisdom. It's really interesting how, whether it be insolence, whether it be hatred, hatred of a problem, hatred of an issue, whatever it might be, once again, when the focus is you, that gets you into trouble. That gets you into trouble. And this is what the human complaint is. So here, Habakkuk's battle is all the more fiercer because of his wrestling with what he saw stems from the perceived non-involvement of God and powerlessness of God. God, these are your people. God, these are your people who you delivered. God, these are the people that you provided for. God, these are the people that you protected. God, these are the people that you've placed your seal upon, the people that you chose. Why aren't you doing something? And it's in this context here that we get a divine response, which I think is really cool. The divine response is found in Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5. And I think it's one of the coolest verses to read. This is what he says to Habakkuk in the face of that complaint. Look among the nations and see. Wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. I'm going to read that again. Look among the nations and see, wonder and be astounded, for I am doing a work in your days that you would not believe if told. So God automatically sits there and says, you take a look around. You see what's going on, but I'm doing something. I'm doing something. And if I told you, you would not believe it. If I told you, that would blow your mind. 
If I told you, it would just stop you in your tracks. And, and so these words that Habakkuk got to, to look and see, these words to say, okay, God's there. God recognizes, God sees. I reckon would have stirred within him an excitement. It's like hearing something when, if, if you're in trouble and someone says, it's all right, I'm coming. And you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm sure that's how Habakkuk was feeling at this time. I'm sure that all the stories of God's working throughout the past would have flown into his mind, whether it be of Joseph, who through all his hardship, I mean, Joseph, who didn't see God doing what he was doing, but at the end of it was there to deliver not only his family, but the, the nation of Egypt. And at the end of it, he could look back and say, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Wow, that's pretty cool. I'm sure Habakkuk may have thought of, of that story, how Habakkuk may have thought of the deliverance from Pharaoh, even in the hardship of 400 years of bondage, to be delivered from such bondage and then think, yeah, maybe he was going to deliver or, or what, what he did in Egypt with the 10 plagues and, and the parting of the Red Sea. Maybe, maybe even the conquering of the promised land like he did with Joshua. He could just recount all of these things, all of these workings that God had done for the nation of Israel, which would just cause the people of Israel to humble themselves and, and repent and, and turn back to him wholeheartedly. All of these stories. And, and I guarantee you have got, you can share story after story within your own own life of when God had done amazing things and and you look back and even in our times of complaint in our times of struggle in our times of hardship to pray and ask God to to bring to memory to recollect the amount of times he he saved you the amount of times he provided for you the amount of times he blessed you the amount of times that he encouraged you the amount of times he just he just passed the peace that surpassed all understanding to recollect all those times but that doesn't happen for us though does it more often than not, when we're in our time, we think that's it. We're like that little picture of two people. We stay there, and we dwell there. And, and, and like, I'm speaking from experience, I, and, I, and, I, and I do the same. So he was basically revealing to him, I am involved in the lives of my people, whether you see it or not. Our God is at work in our lives right now, whether we see it or not, whether we feel it or not he is always at work if the scriptures teach that he searches to and fro seeking for a man who he might reveal himself fully on 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 their behalf he's always looking he's always he's, he is an active god i mean this is the equivalent of, of like romans eight twenty eight, which i'll come back to afterwards but here's here's the kicker here's the kicker about this all right this encouragement that habakkuk would have felt when he got his answer of what God was going to do, he didn't like it. He was like, oh. Which actually caused him to complain again about something else, which we'll look at next week. But you look, you look at what God does here. The work that God is doing in his days, you wouldn't believe. And this is why he wouldn't believe. It was found in verses 6 to 11. And if you have a look at this, these are the things that he's going to do within the hearts and the lives of his people. They are going to experience loss. Verse 6, For behold, I am raising the Chaldeans, or the Babylonians, that bitter and hasty nation who march through the breadth of the earth to seize dwellings not their own. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hang on a sec. God is listening. God is hearing. God has seen what his people are doing. And he says, I'm going to do something, all right? You're going to experience loss because the Chaldeans are going to come through and they're going to take your homes. They're going to experience fear. Verse 7, they are dreaded and fearsome. Their justice and dignity go forth from themselves. So now you've got this Gentile nation coming through, taking their homes and passing judgment on this nation. They will experience domination. Verse 8, their horses are swifter than leopards, more fierce than the evening wolves. Their horsemen press proudly on. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle, swift to devour. This is nuts. I can see why Habakkuk didn't right expect this sort of an answer. What about deliverance? What about encouragement? What about saving? So far I've got fear, I've got loss, and I've got domination. Uh, the next two verses, verse 9, humiliation. 
all, so at kings they scoff, and at rulers they laugh. They laugh at every fortress, for they pile up earth and take it. Oh, sorry, verse 9. I'm in bondage. Sorry, I left that one. They all come for violence, all their faces forward. They, ca- they gather captives like sand. This, this is what the work is that God is going to do in the lives of Israel. He is going to bring them to experience fear, domination, bondage, humiliation. What sort of answer is this? Why on earth would God give his people over to a nation that would enslave, dominate, humiliate, and terrify them? If you remember last week, we looked at that whole idea of God demonstrating his love when he answers in judgment. And so I'm not going to labor, but there's two reasons. Two reasons I looked at. That's what I, there's many more, but I looked at two reasons as to why God has allowed this to take place within the hearts of his people. Actually, if you ever get the chance, um, look at a book called uh, What on Earth is God Doing? What on Earth is God Doing? by Renald Showers. He's actually, he's actually, many years ago, he was one of the head guys at Jews for Jesus. And uh, it's, a, it's a very good book, but it looks at the cosmic battle between God and Satan throughout history. And it looks at from, from eternity past, all through the script, biblical history, even into like secular history, looks at the, the way God had worked in the background through all the life. It's a, it's a great book. I would encourage you to actually have a look at it if you can. But this is what takes place here. So there are two reasons God answers the way he does, why he answers in such a way, besides the fact that he's God and he gets to choose what he desires because he is sovereign. Firstly, consequences. There's consequences. If, if I'm not going to labor this point, but this is the result of them desiring to walk away from God. Remember, they lived in a conditional covenant. They lived in a conditional covenant. And I know of, I think she probably pushed this point the last several weeks I've preached. But the context of the circumstance results in the consequence they suffer. As I shared before, see, the greatest love, I think, that demonstrates the love that God has to his people is the love that a parent has toward their child. And, and you know this, as parents, for those that are parents, you know this. Your, your children have done some of the craziest things, but you're always there. Your, your kids might be irritating, but to you, they're like, oh, they're just persistent. Okay? You, 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 you look at your children in a loving way and just accept them wholeheartedly, irrespective of their mistakes, irrespective of the things they do wrong, irrespective of the accidents. You love your children. Now, if that is one of the greatest loves that reflect God's love for his people, what happens when people start perverting and abusing that love? What happens when for the sake of convenience or the sake of being like everybody else, they take the lives of the child that they have reared and cared for and offered them in sacrifice to a pagan God, to another lifestyle? If you read throughout the scriptures, it's, it's always then when God says enough's enough. Enough's enough. And he directly intervenes and says, this is what's going to happen. Because we're perverting something beautiful that he has bestowed upon us. The thing that he has gifted us with. And this is what was taking place in Habakkuk's day. They had perverted that love, that parental love, to such an extent that God was now saying, it's time. I love you. And because I love you, I will pass judgment on you to bring you back to myself. Exactly what we spoke about last week. Remember last week? It was the whole idea of for what a man sows, that shall he reap. They're now reaping the consequences of their choice. Now, case in point, and, and I know a lot of people, a lot of non-Christians ask this question as well. Why does God not do this or why does God not do that? And, and yeah, you, you have some really great conversations, but ultimately when you say the likes of, well, it is about free choice. It is about God allowing us the opportunity to choose. And if we make the wrong choice, we must be willing to suffer the consequences of that choice. And you share with those, those realities with people. And you know, often it's, it's overlooked, but it's a reality that takes place. It happens in your family life. You say to your children when you're driving the car and they're always talking, if I have to come back there. You know, and, and that's true. There's a consequence to it. You say, you better stop. 
Um, just recently, we had a, um, a graduation at Borkham Hills High. It was, it was a wonderful graduation, a class of 2018, and I shared this with some of the guys. And, and that's the only time I get dressed up. So I, I dress up, and I, I'm, I'm standing at the door, and I was in, in a suit, and, and everyone was saying, like parents were saying, is there a security guard here or something, which was, which was quite funny, which was quite funny. But I was, I was inside, and while the speeches were being done, there were some families just outside talking, and they were talking quite loud. And so one of the other teachers went out, and they said, oh, excuse me, can you please keep it down because we can't hear the, the, the things. And, and so they, they came back in, and, and then they, 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 they were quiet for about 30 seconds. They started getting loud again, and so I walked out there, I walked out there. As soon as I walked out there, the, the, no, one, no, one, no one, they just said, we should move, is the first thing they said. And so, and, and so, and so I walked up to them and I said, oh, look, I'm, I'm really, I really apologize, but if, if you're going to talk, because it's really loud, we can't hear. I was trying, whenever I try to be sort of polite, I, try, I sort of make myself smaller, so I sort of bend down a little bit. It doesn't work very well, but, you know, it's, it, there's this, I was telling Adam this one time, I do this when I try to be less intimidating. And when they have, when they have little children, I try to get smaller as well, but that just looks even scarier to a little child, I gathered. So, um, but yeah, and, but that's the thing, though. It was a, there was a consequence. They, they had the choice, but there was a consequence, and, and the consequence was I got to tell them to move. And, and, and they moved, but they came back at the end because I let them. But it was, nah, no, that's not true. But, uh, but it was, yeah, but that's, that's the reality of it. There are consequences to decisions. There are consequences to choices. And that's the same thing that applies to us in our Christian life. Yes, we are freed from sin through faith in Jesus Christ. Yes, we have asked him to forgive us. Yes, we've experienced the salvation of Jesus Christ through faith in him. But when we make bad choices, when we choose to follow sin and choose our own direction, we will suffer the consequences. That's the reality of it. Yes, you'll still be forgiven, but you still need to suffer the consequences of making a wrong choice. David experienced this. David experienced this when he sinned with Bathsheba in 2 Samuel 11, I believe it is. And so after he commits the sin, after he gets brought forth and called out, was he still loved by God? Yes. Was he still God's child? Yes. Was he still the king of Israel? Yes. But you know what? He lost his son. That was born in sin. He lost his son. He lost the integrity of the nations around him because now they're like, oh, what sort of guy is this? He lost the peace that was in his family because of that choice. Was he still a man after God's own heart? Yes. But he had to suffer the consequences for his sin. That's the same with us guys. Yeah, we'll still be forgiven. Yeah, yeah, we'll still be accepted and loved by God. But we must suffer the consequences of the choice that we make, which means this. If you've broken a relationship, you, can God heal that relationship? Yeah, he can heal that relationship. But there'll still be that, just a, that little bit where it's not just the same. It's not quite the same anymore because you've betrayed such trust. Uh, yeah, yeah, you'll, you, you'll still be able to come alongside somebody else, but there's still something there. I heard one person say, if you drop a plate and you break the plate and say, I'm sorry, the plate's still broken. And that's the reality of it. That's the consequence, isn't it? The plate's still broken. You say a harsh word to hurt somebody. Yeah, you can say, I'm sorry, could you please forgive me? And they can say it, but you still cause the hurt, haven't you? Those are the consequences of the choices we make. It, it stems from creation to, to, to cities and countries, to, to families, to communities, to individuals, to us. That's the reality of it. So, in Job chapter 4, verse 8, we read this. As I have seen those who plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Those that plow iniquity and sow trouble reap the same. Proverbs 22.8a, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. That's the, that's the choice and that's the consequence. Praise God, praise God, we have been accepted in Jesus Christ. Praise God, he has given us his spirit. Praise God, he has given us his word. Praise God, he has given us each other to be able to walk in this life that he's given us. But that is the first thing. That is the first thing. That of consequences, the divine response, that of consequences. Second thing is this, that of eternity. That of eternity. We are told in the scriptures that eternity has been placed within our hearts. And this point may seem somewhat ignorant, but like Habakkuk, when viewing the suffering, the hardship and struggles of the world today, and we can wonder, like Habakkuk, God, what are you doing? To which the Lord responds, he is doing a work in our days that we wouldn't believe. Now, the work that he is doing behind the scenes 
is not to give us a happy, contented, satisfied life on this earth. We have to understand. Now, yes, is it good to be happy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God desires us to be happy and to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Yes, yes, God desires us to provide, but our happiness is not to be found in our earthly existence, but in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Uh, Ravi Zacharias. Ravi Zacharias is the one who said, if you pursue happiness for the sake of being happy, you'll never find it. Because happiness is always connected to something else. You find joy when you play sport. I, I, I love playing sport. You find joy in hanging out with someone else. You find joy when you have spent time with your family. You see, so when we find, hap- we find happiness in other things, that's where we find it, correct? To be happy for the sake of being happy means you won't find it. But it means this, that the greatest happiness we'll discover is when we are content in the person of Jesus Christ. That's when true happiness is experienced because our existence isn't designed to stay here on earth forever but to be in the presence of our savior you see everything god does is done so with eternity in mind that's what we need to bear in mind okay it's done with eternity in mind and so as we spend time walking with him and living with him and spending time in his word he is he is shaping us there's a bigger picture to take place here now for us we, we are very impatient. We're, we, we sit there, I want it done now. I need it done now. Can we do this now? I want to go buy this. I want to go here. I want to visit the world. I want to spend four months in London or whatever it might be. We, I'm sorry, sister. We might do a whole bunch of things like this and, and, and thought, oh, that's going to be so much fun. Oh, I had a great time yesterday at the couples retreat. It was a lot of fun. It was like a taste of heaven. But like heaven itself is what God's aiming for for us. Heaven itself is our ultimate destination, and we've got to understand it. Uh, Numbers 23 verse 19 says this, God is not human that he should lie, not a human being that he should change his mind. Does he speak and not act? Does he promise and not fulfill? See, we need to understand this. God works on a different playing field than what we work. So we, we work, and like I said, we only see this much. We only see this much. Andrew Finn works for the New South Wales Treasury. He's finished now, hasn't he? Or he's got another role in the job. So he works for the government. And what I like when I talk with him is that he, he talks in terms of the big picture. He tells me about his job and working with billions of dollars, taxpayer dollars, your dollars. He works with with billions of dollars about the bigger picture as the infrastructure that's been put in place around northwest Sydney. And whilst people might complain and sit there, what do we see? I see a, a railway track that's half built and looks ugly. That's what I see. What, what Andrew sees is the bigger picture because he's working behind the scenes. Does that make sense? And because he sees the bigger picture, he makes choices for, with the bigger picture in mind. Now, that same principle applies to our Christian life and our relationship with Jesus. What we see is just this. He has a bigger picture in mind. He has eternity in mind. He's looking at the end result that you will get to as you walk with him. That's what he is doing. Because you were made for eternity. Teilhard de Chardin, which was a French philosopher, not a Christian. Uh, I've shared this many years ago. But he, he basically looked at our, our existence and said, we, was it, we, are, we are not physical beings desiring a spiritual experience. He said, we are spiritual beings partaking of a physical experience. We are spiritual beings partaking of a physical experience, meaning this, we are created more than just for this life. We are created with eternity in mind, and that's where God desires to lead us to. Everything he does is for that. Should we experience joy and happiness in the people around us because God has gifted us with that? Yes, enjoy it. Should we enjoy the, the, the ability to make money and to have a job and, and work and, and, and represent Jesus Christ in the workplace? Yeah, enjoy it. But that's not where it's all found. It is found in the person of Jesus Christ. It is in direct connection to him that we experience that fullness of life. That's why marriages, and you hear all the time, marriages to be founded on the person of Christ is the number one priority, the rock on which it's built. So this is... One of the, 
the, the biggest limitations that we have as people, that we do not see the bigger picture. And that's what contributes to our lack of faith, to our, to our thinking that God is powerless or that God is not working. But we need to spend time in this so we understand. And we're, you know what's even crazier? We are told how it ends. We are told how it ends. We know we're going to win. We know that. We know where we're going to go. I mean, okay, I like, I, like watching, I like watching rugby games, right? But sometimes, have you ever watched a game and you've looked at the result first before you watch the game? And you watch the game, and even though it's really, really close, you know you're going to win, and you're like, it's all right. It's all right. It, ha- it happened, okay. I, I, no, I won't tell an all-black story. I won't tell an all-black story. They lost last time anyway. So, all, all, all I'm saying is this. See, when you know you're going to win, you've got no issues. There's a peace, even though it's going to be, oh, it looks really close. Wow. I mean, when Australia lost to South Africa because an Israel Folau pass, which went awry, which was, which was shocking, they were only like, it was the winning thing. And like everybody, everybody was there going, yeah, we're going to win it, we're going to win it. And they lost. I laughed so hard. But... Because you know you're going to win, there's a peace that passes. We know we are going to win. This is the state of, of today's world. See, if we, can, if, we can, if we can understand this, that we are made for eternity, that God has the bigger picture in mind, then we understand and, and understand the peace that has been bestowed upon us because of that. This is what I, I'd like you to see. Um, there's a couple of things. I want to show you those pictures again. Show you those pictures again, please. All right, see this? So here we go once again. This is, this is two people. This is two people complaining and, and focusing on, on themselves. They're, they're, they're whinging. Why? Because they see the situation around them. Can I have the next picture, please, Sarah? They see the picture that's around them. They see the obstacles. They see the hardship. They see the struggles. They see everything around them, and it just looks so great. They wonder how it's going to be. I think Rain has seen that there's something around those two guys, haven't you, sister? Now, this is what God wants us to see. This is actually taken from, this is actually taken from um, Kings. Kings, the story, the story in Dothan, when they're surrounded by an army, the man of God and his servant, and the servant's freaking out. Why? Because he sees the obstacles in front of them. What does the man of God see? Can I have the next picture? The man of God sees a savior. The man of God sees an army, the heavenly host that has his back. And because he saw that, he was completely fearless. Because he knew where his life lay. This, this is what God desired to see for Habakkuk to see that even though all the evil was taking place he was at work and yes it was through hardship yes it was through loss yes it was through domination yes it was through fear yes it was through bondage yes it was through humiliation but he should see the God behind him working and reconciling and bringing his people back to himself so his people would know that he is the Lord that his people would know that, he, that they are loved by him. That his people would know that he would never let them go. That's why. 53 times in the book of Leviticus, we read this phrase, I am the Lord who. I am the Lord who is holy. I am the Lord who, 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 who consecrates. I am the Lord who commands. I am the Lord that protects. I am the Lord that saves. I am the Lord that works. I am the Lord that provides. I am the Lord of Israel. This is what he's communicating to his people here. That he is the Lord who is at work in the hearts of his people. That's why when you look at the likes of Jeremiah 31, 31, and he says, Call unto, or first he says, call unto me. Next one. And I will answer thee. I took this from the King James. And I will answer thee and show you great and mighty things that thou knowest not. Next one, please. I will show you great and mighty things 
that thou knowest not. The things that God wants to reveal to us. Maybe sometimes we do need to go through hardship. Maybe sometimes we do need to go through struggles. But God, working in the background, has done so to shape and mold us more into the image of His Son. In Romans 8, 28, we read, We know that in all things God works, together, uh, work, works good for the good for those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. I, I like how it says in that verse, it just says all things. It doesn't say most things. It doesn't say some things. It doesn't even say good things. It says all things work together for good to those that love God. This, this is the complaint Habakkuk has, and this is the response our God gives. Now, I don't know what complaints you have. I don't know what struggles you're going through. I don't know what hardships you experience. But I do know this, that the God of Habakkuk is the same God of ours. I know that the God of Habakkuk and the way that he took them through some hardship, maybe the hardship he takes us through, is for the purpose of revealing himself to us. And so we might acknowledge and recognize that he is the Lord. I think when we come to that, then we're in a better state than what we were before. So what I'm going to do is this. I'm going to actually ask the prayer team to come out first. And, and I don't know what things you're going through, but instead of, instead of walking off and opening doors and getting morning tea ready and things like that, I'd like us just to pray. And so if you have something to pray for, the music team, can you come up as well, please, and just sing? And then I want to give you a few moments. Uh, if you want to be prayed for, and it could be about anything, it could be a struggle you're going through, it could be, I don't know, something that you're encountering or whatever it might be, and I, I would love to be able to just pray for you this morning, and the prayer team will come up as well. And we'll just spend a few moments in prayer. And then when the worship team, I'll get you to sing at the same time, so that way it's a little bit more silent for the people who are praying. And then we can see how we go for that. And then I'll close after that. Okay, so prayer team, can I get you guys to come up? Just stand up here, please. Can I get one of the elders too? Pastor Ben, can you come up, please, brother? And to pray for. Everyone else, you want to be up standing? And you can, uh, we can all sing together. But if you want anything to be prayed for, please come forward. We would love to pray for you this morning before we have our our morning tea. Thank you.
If you want to be prayed for, please don't hesitate. Just come on up. We'd love to pray for you this morning. While you guys, while we're praying up here, I'll just close in a, I'll close in a word. Father, we thank you so much that you are a God that surrounds us with your love, that you're a God who brings us to soar on wings of eagles, that you've caused us to run and not be weary, to walk and not faint. Father, you are a God that loves us so much that you are always at work, even in the background. So, Lord, I pray for this church. I pray for Grace Christian Church, that where we may not see you at work, we take comfort knowing that you are. That where we may not understand what's taking place, we are thankful that you're in full knowledge of every situation. Father, that where we are weak, you are strong. So, our Father, we commit ourselves to you this day that as we go forth, we might truly represent to you, not only to you, but to the world around us, should I say, that you are at work and that you are a God that loves us. Father, may we heed the words of Habakkuk, that you are doing a work in our days that we would not believe even if we were told. So we commit ourselves to you now and ask for you to bring glory to your name through your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd love to pray for you, right? How can I pray for you, right? Face to face.